It all began in this little shop. Ow! Damn roses! Where, strange as it seems, something extraordinary happened. I'm afraid it isn't feeling very well today. Now isn't What kind of a weirdo plant is that, Seymour? Little Shop of Horrors, a story about a boy. I've given you sunlight. I've given you rain. Looks like you're not happy. Unless I open a vein. Where did you get such a weird plant? A girl. Get out and make nice boys when you live on Skid Row, Mr. Mushnick. See, now this is my date, my boyfriend. A florist. I'm telling you, Audrey, he's not a good, clean kind of boy. He's a professional. You'll be a You have a talent for causing things. Hey, stop me a People will pay you to be a I've been saving all month for this. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. Feed me Seymour. And a plant. Feed me all night long. How am I supposed to keep on feeding you? Whoa! Touch me now! I'm just a mean green mother from outer space and I'm gay. I'm just a mean green mother from outer space and it looks like you've been hanged. Yes! Rick Moranis. It's a total disgrace to the dental profession. Ellen Green. Excuse me. Excuse me what? That's better. Vincent Gardenia, with special guest appearances by Steve Martin, John Candy, and Bill Murray. It's a professionalism that I respect. Little Shop of Horrors. First, uh, truly international podcast. Oh, okay. Groovy. <laughs> How's it going? Yeah, real well, real well. Nice shirt. Cool, cool. Um, let's get into it. Welcome to another edition of the Download Podcast Show. I'm Darren Jenkins. I'm Chris Saunders. And on today's podcast, we have guests... Uh, Tuck Silver from all the way from Australia, by the way, everyone. It is pretty early he is getting up for this this podcast, so he must really enjoy this film. The film we're doing today is Little Shop of Horrors, the 1986 film. Um, I'm going to read the synopsis real quick. Um, meet flower shop assistant Seymour, played by Rick Moranis, pines for co-worker Audrey, played by Ellen Green. During a total eclipse, he discovers an unusual plant he names Audrey II, which feeds only on human flesh and blood. Glowing plant attracts a great deal of a business for the previously struggling store. After Seymour feeds Audrey's boyfriend, Oren, played by Steve Martin, to the plant after Oren's accidental death, he must come up with more bodies for the increasingly bloodthirsty plant. Um, this movie was directed by Frank Oz, screenplay by Howard Ashman, with a budget of $30 million and a box office of $39. Um, yeah, I was a little surprised. <laughs> I saw you. I, I had to check on that, too. I was like, what? Wait, what? Huh. 
It's like a Bruce movie, kind of. Well, so what this is also you... a this is also a remake. Yeah, you know that. Yes. Yeah. I was unaware until this very moment. Uh, mm. The, mm. What was it? Nineteen fifty-six, I believe. Nineteen sixty, uh, I believe. Sixty. Roger Corman did yeah. uh, the original. Yeah, and on thirty thousand bucks. <laughs> on thirty thousand bucks. Not, not thirty million. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, by the way, I, I watched the trailer for this, for the old, for the original one. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The original is a weird film, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also so, not a musical, and I think making no. it a musical makes it much better. Oh, yeah. absolutely. No, the film is dramatically improved by the music. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, well, we'll get there, but, you know, some notable actor in the original one. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. the, the acting looks pretty bad. The writing looks pretty bad. I didn't watch yes. it. I just saw some clips. But yes, yes, yeah. it, clearly the musical wonder. was a labor of love. Somebody must really like Roger Corman movies because, I mean, I don't like. How do you stumble across this and say, "Let me remake it"? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, all right. Well, and, and it's weird because the thing, the Broadway show did much better than the movie. Yes, yes, it did. Like, like leaps and bounds. So mm -hmm. maybe Rogers should have just made it as a Broadway show to start. You know, I looked up. Uh, I was looking up some reviews from from 1986, and there was a few good reviews, from like New York Times and uh, yeah. a couple other publications. So I was kind of curious why it did so poorly. Yeah, it was like weird because I, I I'm pretty sure I saw this in the theater, and I feel like when this came out, this was considered a, like a really good movie. So I'm like, it only made $9 million? That's mm -hmm. incredibly weird. Well, it's a musical. Try <laughs> selling a musical at the cinema. Very, yeah. very difficult to do these days. Even yeah. back in the 80s, very yeah. difficult to do. The, the age of the musical died about 10 years prior to that, so, yeah. or more. It, so how, uh, how, yeah. It, how well did uh, West Side Story do? Because we did that in the past. That's a good question. I don't know. That's a very good question. But that's 19... Is that 50s? Uh, the original, yeah. The Broadway show was in the 50s. The, um... uh, oh, the movie. Oh, what was that? We should know. We did, we did a podcast on it. Yeah, the box office for <laughs> West Side Story was $44.1 million. Or maybe more. The... I mean, total more. Yeah. So I think the budget for it was, um, let's see, it was, uh, if I recall. Oh, wow. Actually, the budget for West Side Story was only six. Oh, yeah, well, the, the film was treated more like a musical than a yeah. film, more like a stage show than a film, I should say. Whereas yeah. Frank Oz went completely bananas and took over every lot on Pinewood Studio, even mm -hmm. the 007 lot. He took over the entire studio to film oh, this. Really? Yeah, yeah the, the credits said entirely filmed at the studio. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, he specifically wanted to not use any live sets, like outdoor sets, in order to maintain the, um, what's the word I want, like theatrical feel mm. of the sets, like the indoorness of them. Even the outdoor sets felt indoors deliberately. Mm -hmm. And it was, like it, was it really worked. And the whole thing feels solid because of that. Hmm. Yeah. And, and this was 86, so this would have been right smack dab in the height of his powers as yes. per the uh, Muppet, the Bumpet Show, yeah. Sesame Street. I mean, he was he was 
he was straight crushing. Oh, well, he's, he's just he's also... did Muppets Take Manhattan, I think. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Man, yo, that was on Netflix a while back, and I started watching them, and, and then they took them off, and I was very sad. No. <laughs> um, but but he was involved in like Labyrinth, and and he I don't know he must have yes. worked some yeah. puppet, anything puppet stuff that was Star like and like um, animatronic type yeah. work was like mm-hmm. his domain. Mm-hmm. I mean he's, Yoda. Uh, he's got yeah. credits, yeah, for Star Wars, um, Jet, uh, Return of the Jedi, and so he yeah. was he was he was not lacking for money at that point in time in his career, no. and um, and which again kind of still makes it kind of incredulous because this movie didn't make more money, but I guess people weren't feeling uh, the musical thing there in the eighties. So. Did, did, did you basic takeaway? Yeah. Did you guys see the uh, HBO Now description for this movie? Cause no. no. I got an eye roll from me. Uh, <laughs> plant yourself in front of this wild musical comedy fantasy, the story oh, yeah. of a boy and a girl in a man-eating plant from outer space. <sighs> okay. okay. <laughs> All right. All right then. Um, so, um, talk, what made you decide to choose this, this uh, particular film for this? us to watch today well i really enjoy musical films um and musical theater to a slightly lesser extent but i i love the way the camera can add to the concept of a, of a musical that's designed for um well a, a move that's designed for a single straight performance mm. so if you've got a story that's being told on a stage it's go to woe start to finish an hour two three however long the story is but it's start to finish like that. And that brings with it a certain structure. Right. And that's fine. That's what the stage does. But when you put it in front of a camera, suddenly you can do all sorts of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I really enjoy what cameras do for musicals. But then I got to thinking about how musicals, in my opinion, I kind of think of them like a car. Like there's a vehicle and then there's passengers. And the story for most musicals is the vehicle. And the songs are just the passengers. The songs pop up and appear here and there to mm. accent the story, which is the main thing. And the people talk and they dance and they, they run around and do all the things that they do. And then they stop and they sing. Right. And they go, okay, well, this just happened. We're going to sing about it now. <laughs> and then they go over here and they do a thing and they go, let's sing about this other thing now. And Gilbert and Sullivan's a great example of this, where mm. I find like with a great GNS, like Pirates of Penzance. I mean, I could watch that, the, the, um, uh, the Linda Rodstadt version of Pirates of Penzance is, is my take home for that. Uh, it's my, <laughs> my evil sin. <laughs> but um, uh, again, it, it's like story, 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 song. Story, 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 song. Um, and that's, that's, what, that's great. But Little Shop of Horrors inverts that. It's the songs are the vehicle. And the story is just what happens in between the songs. Right. Um, and they tell the story through the songs more than most other musicals that I've experienced. Like, they don't just accent a given scene. They flow. They, they tell the narrative through the lyrics and through the counterpoints in the songs and the melodies and even the, the accents and the music mm. tells the story, um, which is common for, mo- for a lot of musicals, but they really just hit the nail on the head for this movie. Um, and I think the fact that the music was written at the same time as the... Um, the story itself. It was all designed to be a musical um, when they translated it from Roger Corman's version, I mean, mm-hmm. um, and produced by a music company. I mean, Geffen was involved in the production, so it was designed 
to be music. Um, I think it all just gels really well. I think it's the it's the best example of a translation of a stage musical to a film that I that I'm familiar with. Hmm. Interesting. Except for that one point, I don't know if you noticed. Um, this is like interaction between Audrey and Seymour. Mm -hmm. Once she finds out that he's been doing whatever he's doing, mm -hmm. and they're just talking, and it's really regular. He's like, "Yeah," and we're gonna go away together. Suddenly, Seymour, like he just started breaking yes. up the song. Like, yes, that <laughs> refrain bursts out. Yes, uh, that's true. <laughs> that's that part, guard, <laughs> yeah, that drops you out a little bit. I'll give you that one. <laughs> there were some. There, it's a good point you were making how this how the music was used there's that scene there's a scene um when uh the store owner confronts seymour about the fact that i saw what you were doing i seen what mm -hmm. you saw you know and mm -hmm. as um he's upstairs he goes hey you know what how about you just disappear and i'll take the plane mm -hmm. and so he's like, just teach me how to take care of it. And you can see him like he's backing up closer and closer. And there's just the, the music behind him. Mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. Like the, you don't see their faces kind of in the dark. And oh, yeah. that, 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 that little is, scene, the cinematography, I was just like, that's was that, out, that was amazing. Because yeah, they're going from, scared from the scene. crap out of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As a kid. They're, they're going from like Seymour to Monik, and then and then they have the, the, the three singers, the, which the Greek chorus, yeah, yeah, they were. the Greek chorus. Yeah. I'm like, I, I didn't think about that until I was reading some articles. I was like, oh, oh yeah, but um, yeah. they're going like back and forth between these three people with the plant mm -hmm. with Audrey too in the background, and then do you notice the, the the Greek chorus kind of lean forward but still in the shadows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh, and then uh -huh. that that whole scene, like I was like, oh my yeah. god, like, those are really building anticipation for me. Well, Frank Oz is actually really kind of dark sometimes. Like yes, he's he done is. some stuff. He's done some stuff that's like, whoa, what the hell? Like some of the weird stuff in the Muppet Show. Like if you go um, as an adult watching, rewatching it, there's some dark stuff in there, and he really gets to stretch that a little bit in this because it's all about a um, murderous plant and <laughs> lots of people dying. So mm. he gets to play with the the dark side a little, and it's really really cool. Was it the two old guys from the Muppets? They're pretty yeah. dark. <laughs> Yeah, they're quite dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Frank does. Frank uh, <clears throat> kind of was a little bit ahead of his time in some of the stuff he was doing, and especially in like how some of his um, work was being presented. Um, and this was just um, like another example, because you know it would have been easy enough for him to kind of live off of doing the stuff they did with the children's stuff like you know um he could have easily expand like there was no reason why he couldn't expand it and been like a second disney you know what i mean where he just created this this world of children's characters that just became all he did mm -hmm. I, I felt like he started to like somewhere in the mid 80s he started to lean into um trying to have his work be more adult facing yes that that i believe that that's accurate but um in my experience the difference between um oz and disney is um i never got the impression that frank was in it to exploit right to just for profit 
Disney has from day zero been a profit-making venture. Right. And I'm not going to diss that as a concept. I mean, you know, you've got to make your money and I'm, I'm cool with that. But but Frank wasn't about that as such. Right. I mean, that was involved. Sure, he made his money, yeah. But that wasn't his primary motivator. Right. And so he wasn't prepared to exploit people as much as is required right. to go from successful to take over the planet. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, if, if, if you were about to talk talk down about Disney, we were going to end this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he, he, I mean, you know, he was, I think he was, um, he was an artist first mm-hmm. and a mm-hmm. storyteller after that, I believe. Um, or maybe right beside that, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Kind of. Beside that, sure. um, and I think like you said his his darkness was not necessarily specifically to be dark just for any reason i think it was just an it was just like a natural evolution of what his artwork could possibly potential could be you know what i mean mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. labyrinth was 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 i think in some ways an underrated film I love Labyrinth. I'm a big Bowie fan. Um, love Jennifer Connelly and love like, Frank Oz. So I'm, I love Labyrinth. I, yeah. I guess that's what you're coming back for when you, you do your next podcast with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um, I was thinking of coming back for Once More with Feeling uh, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Once More with Feeling. Yeah. Um, it, it's a musical episode of a TV series. Oh, goodness. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, Unfortunately, you have to watch six years of Buffy in order to get why it's so good. <laughs> so right, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to you in six years for that episode. Yeah, yeah we'll great. Get, we'll get on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or um, five years, anyway. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's that's my next. Sorry, we're talking about Little Shop Horror. <laughs> so, so what do we think about? So, I, I'm just looking at the, the this is opening monologue, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of doing this scrolling thing, like Star Wars, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which is fine. It sets some background for what the hell is going on in this film. But um, I feel like they could have done like a a, a more doo-wop voiceover. Sure. I mean, they do like, a lot of doo-wop in the throughout the film. There's a lot yeah. of that coming out. Mm-hmm. I feel like they could have done like that deep, the, the bassist from a, a doo-wop group speaking, like mm-hmm. talking, doing the monologue. I thought that would have been sure. Because you know the, the the voice that they use kind of took me out of it. I was like, this doesn't line up. Well, they went with the fifties seen... newscast sort of thing. Um, that what they were in order for. to set the scene for um, New York in the 50s. So yeah. um, they were going for that, uh, the, the, the invasion of the giant woman sort of, you know, huge mm-hmm. ant horror film thing, the <laughs> nuclear, uh, I mean, this is all about nuclear fear, nuclear terror. So yep. uh, they were going into that. And um, uh, I see the newscaster as a, as a viable uh, way to deliver that. I see your point about making it more musical though. I think that could have been fun, yeah. Oh, now I have to rewatch it with that in mind. Damn you! <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the when Audrey Two appears on the shelf at the Chinese uh, plant seller's place, it appears in a flash of green, uh, glowy mm-hmm. light, um, which uh, green glow is the standard, you know, film shorthand for nuclear radiation. So um, uh, that plus the total eclipse of the sun being a cosmic event when it appears brings to mind stuff like Godzilla and the whole nuclear monster thing. Uh, and the giant ants, and the giant woman, and the giant ferret, or whatever the f- hell 
<laughs> there's always a giant something right <laughs> in, in these in these black and white horror films anyway um so yeah the whole nuclear terror thing from the 50s is um a big part of this in my my opinion that, anyway that whole chinese thing was kind of i think a homage to gremlins as well so yes uh, was yes yeah yeah yep wait, wait, what year was gremlins 84 Mm-hmm. I was I, I was just wondering why they had to have the shopkeeper in like this old school Chinese clothing. Uh, film shorthand? Well, I mean, you know, I know if you want to get into the whole does this age well moment. Ah. <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's yeah. no breakfast at Tiffany's, all right? So at least it, it doesn't go like that. But. Yeah, I mean, uh, the beginning of the movie that definitely gave me that feeling of like a a more like a yeah, like invasion of the body snatchers type, you know, moment in mm-hmm. you know the nineteen fifties where mm-hmm. all just goes wrong, you know, from an innocent situation, you know, and. Uh, mm-hmm. It, it was just, um, I mean, you had to take it kind of as tongue in cheek in a lot of ways. Because, I mean, the, 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 you know, the reality of it is this plant that he puts in the window, like immediately, you know, like immediately um, started getting attention and, and which, you know, whatever that is. I mean, I was at that point in the movie, I looked. I literally had to stop the movie to see how long the movie was mm-hmm. because I felt like we were, let's just get right into it. This is, you know, they didn't take a lot of time um, in trying to build up, you know, how this plant would suddenly grab people's attention in this window. It just was just weird, I guess, you know, so. Which is not realistic um, in New York. We don't know this stuff like that. <laughs> well, I'd like to go. I have a one word answer for that. Pheromones. Um, oh. Plants have pheromones. This is not a pheromones science podcast. Look here. <laughs> <laughs> There's always time for science in my musicals, man. <laughs> okay. It's fine. There could have been pheromones. <laughs> hey, man. I, I, I accept it. Um, it's, I was wondering, like, because, you know, we have that, that the monologue and then we just jump into, like, a theme song for the movie. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just making me think, like, okay, we have this musical doo-wop and then, like, sci-fi. Has that, was that, had that been done before? A sci-fi? Rocky Horror musical? Picture Show? Yeah. yeah I guess. Yeah. Is that sci-fi? I felt like horror. Uh, this is well, kind of horror as well. But. Yeah. Um, and to a lesser extent, Flash Gordon. But that was more just a rock, <laughs> a rock musical than anything else. Whee! Wasn't really, yeah. <laughs> That's more again the opposite, where the, the 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 show is the the car and the music is just the passengers. But um, yeah, uh, I guess sci-fi musicals. I really just go to Rocky Horror and Little Shop, really, as far as mm. I can think of. Um, yeah, we have to do that one too. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm there for Rocky Horror, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, but like that, the, the theme song, like, ah, it's it's great, man. It's just like it injects it with that energy you need, like from the yeah. beginning. It sets the yeah. tone. I'm like, this, yeah, mm. that's awesome. Uh, the Skid Row song, where they talk, where they really set the scene for the musical, that is frightening. 
the the, the yeah. zombie like nature of the people, the mm -hmm. the the way they're singing that dr that dirge as they plot along the street, and then the lighting and the on the wire zombie arms coming up the wire. Yeah. I was reminded of the Living Dead, the, the TV show. <laughs> And she's um, walking down that 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 alleyway, and they yes. they don't wait for her to get close up. She's way uh, in the fore, foreground, and yeah. she's and all you can hear is this voice coming at you, and you're like, "Whoa, what's going on?" That's, mm -hmm. I'm looking at the IMDb. That's uh, Beatrice Reading. A uh, reading. Um, her voice is just unbelievably soulful and 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 sad, and it it has a quiet power. Uh, I just love that. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I enjoy, this is one thing I, I was trying to kind of look at um, at the film, which was obviously the, all the main characters are, you know, white actors, um, but they did have that mix mm -hmm. of, um, you know, they didn't, it just wasn't this like whole white cast. They, they had a lot of um, the three, the uh, trio, the um, Greek chorus, as you said, you know, mm -hmm. um, that she, she, the woman you just said writing, um, began that song and let it was like the lead singer for that song. So I, I appreciated how he incorporated, you know, you know, this is 19, well, 60s New York, but 1986. So mm -hmm. um, I was, I, I was very aware of that, especially at this point in time. Yeah. Shout outs to other, I mean, when I saw them, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I had to kind of have a memory foul flashback for the Martin Lawrence show. So so. Oh my God! Okay, Gina and Pam are in this movie. <laughs> Very young. I mean, I was just like, "Wow, they're so young." Yeah, because 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 essentially they they they're playing this chorus, but then they also play these like teenage girls, mm -hmm. or like mm -hmm. ditching school mm -hmm. or something. Yeah, man. Oh man, that that definitely brought me back. <laughs> I can see like Pam. Pam is like uh, is the same as she wasn't mm -hmm. when she's yelling at the, uh, the the shopkeeper for like telling her. What did he say? Do better, or you know, you can. Yeah, better yourself. Yeah, better better yourself. yourself. How are you going to better yourselves? Yeah. yeah. I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that 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 um, the beginning of the movie was a little. Um, it was fun. It was mm -hmm. um, scary and fun. Like this <clears throat> movie definitely injects horror throughout the entire. Yeah, like there's, the, it, there's a weight to this movie. Yep, yep. You can feel the heaviness of like what's coming, you know. Yeah, like, like a lot of horror films these days are like like that that dance club music where you wait for the beat to drop. Like they set up this pleasant this pleasant uh, suburban fantasy malaise, and you're sort of drifting along, drifting along, and waiting for the waiting for the horror to come. And, this one, it's like, no, nah, we're going to get you uncomfortable right at the start. We're going to talk about how this is supposed to be good, but it's also bad. We're going to show you the zombie New Yorkers, um, the music, the, even the lyrics of the song. It's all a little sarcastic, a yeah. little dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's, and each person's story in this, in this movie is just a little bit dark. You mm -hmm. know, everybody's got some sort of heavy issue going on with them mm -hmm. the shops the shop owners had struggling from business she's mm -hmm. being abused seymour is basically uh he's an orphan yeah yeah he's an orphan yep and he's trying to struggle to get out of his um out of his position in life but he 
he doesn't have the ability to do so. He has to be has to have greatness thrust upon him. Right. We have uh, yeah. we have a sadist and a masochist in this film. Like, yep. So. Yeah, yep. They go into that. <laughs> Goodness gracious! It's imperfectly cast by both. Of the, oh, the, of those those are. are my favorite characters. Yeah. Maybe aside, yeah. maybe aside from Audrey too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Voiced by we even voiced by Levi Stubbs, the lead singer. From yeah, that's right. House. One of the. Yep. Um, um, yeah. One of the four tops. Yeah. His voice, man. Oh. Yeah. This is, I mean. Again, I'm as we're talking about this, I'm like, wow, there are a lot of really good things about this movie. It should have made more money. People, I, I agree. Need to re-release this movie. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I enjoy. I, I enjoy. Well, I haven't watched this in like 20 years. I, yeah. I enjoyed this. This was a fun one. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I'm, I'm glad I could bring some uh, some enjoyment in this subject. That's good. Yeah, you got your street cred up on with us. It's pretty good. <laughs> um, <laughs> The Steve Martin <clears throat> in this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, this dude. Yeah. He. So I don't like dentists. I don't know many people <laughs> who do. And watching this movie, I was, I was. It just made me hate them even more. Cause oh no. <laughs> there's a lot of. I mean, he he had a. There's a lot to unpack with him. It was like, he's just completely funny. The scene when he first comes on the scene and he's on the motorcycle and he's singing. I'm just like, I had to stop and rewind that part (laughs) because of some of the lyrics. He's he's amazing in this film. The the lyrics Um, are unbelievably good. They're so tight and they mm -hmm. express everything about him in like five lines and you're like, Oh crap! What the hell is this guy? This dude is messed up. <laughs> They're talking about yeah. clubbing cats over the head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. And, and I was I was kind of confused about his accent and his voice. Like, yeah, yeah. this thing going on when he was singing and dancing, but then like there was this twang of a I don't know southerner in there that came yeah. up every once in a while. It was the big something crazy. Some stuff was going on. I love the even the first few lines he references his mother, um, yeah. and the approval that he sought from his mother in in the opening lines of the song, and then later on he's got this shrine. So like he yeah. hints that he's got mother issues, and then it's like, oh no, 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 dude is committed. <laughs> <laughs> he's in. Because imagine how far you have to go with that character. Like, mother issues. He's a sadist. Yeah. I just don't even. He abuses his girlfriend. It's just yeah, all of it. And, and Steve Martin, like, he does not pull any punches. He's like, no, I am going to literally. I, you know, <laughs> yeah, he like, punches. He punches his nurse as he walks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh Apparently, God. that was his idea. By the way, the actor's <laughs> idea to to punch the nurse like that. Um, oh my God. Yeah, and to rip the doll's head off. That was his idea too. Um, uh, he uh, he's basically one of the things I love about Steve as well is. Um, he can chew any scene. He can mm-hmm. walk into a room and he'll own the room and he'll start chewing the scenery, climbing the walls, and that's mm-hmm. Steve Martin, and that's what you get. That's what you get. When you hire that guy, that's what you get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, he's a special kind of uh, actor. He's, you know, <clears throat> there's a class of comedian actors who can do just about anything that you give mm-hmm. to him. He's mm-hmm. one of those guys. Yeah. I, yeah. I think you had a few of them in this movie alone. Yeah. yeah. Bill Murray? Bill Murray. Yep. Dude, I mean, seriously. 
And you also had Jim Bellucci, John Candy, and of course Rick Moranis in this film. Like that's oh, well, I need to talk about Rick Moranis. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I have to talk about Rick Moranis. He is such an amazing as a human being, he's just incredible. Mm. But I mean, you know, let's just acknowledge the fact that Rick Moranis is a is a legend. We should all aspire to be more like Rick. Yeah. Um but uh beyond that, dude can sing. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> yeah, he's. I, know, I, I was, I was, wasn't completely impressed by his singing. <laughs> sorry, sorry to be that guy. Uh, <laughs> he's staring at me, man. <laughs> no, nah, he leaves it all on the stage, man. Him and Ellen Green, <laughs> of course, she did the stage musical, so she knew what she was doing. She brought it all out, and um, uh, she, she, she had that voice. She, she had that whispery voice throughout the whole film, and then she belts it out and suddenly Seymour. Mm. And and the, so owns the stage, and he's right there next to her. And this is the thing that really stuns me: is she's a professional theater singer, mm. and that's her whole bag. And he stands right next to her, note for note, line for line, decibel for decibel. He's he's right there with her. So I'm I'm club. I'm a, I'm a Seymour guy, you know. <laughs> and I was so young too. So yeah, I mean, yeah. This I, was I, I when see. he was still on. Uh, I think he was still on Saturday SNL at the time. Okay. And had he, wait, wasn't Ghostbusters 86 as well, or was that before? Uh, it was 82. Was right around when, yeah. when he was doing his thing. He did Hunting Us yeah. Around the Kids around this time. Right. This is when he had all these films. Yeah. Ghostbusters was 80, 84, so it would okay. have been a couple of years before him. Yeah. So. I, def I definitely saw some uh, some of that character. Yes, oh, yeah. yes. When he's pouring up the door to get away from um, <laughs> yeah, from Audrey exactly. 2, that was definitely the, the Rick Moranis from Ghostbusters in there. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's, um, I mean, obviously, he was perfectly cast for the role, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, he he plays the kind of like the guy you want to feel sorry for very well. Um, mm -hmm. And he's, um, I mean, I, I grew up watching him when he was doing uh, SCTV. Oh, yeah. So I'm yeah. familiar with his his skill set through there, but I didn't know like he was, you know, is like to me, this was a movie that if you're a good Broadway actor, this would this is a and everybody who was cast in this movie has had done either before or after some form of Broadway. Um and you know, this was kind of like a great stepping stone for anybody who probably was um, exploring the, the possibility because this mm. this was a this was a very Broadway esque production. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I have a question. Okay, mm -hmm. so we know the song uh, "Somewhere That's Green," where she's mm -hmm. daydreaming about you know a life with Seymour. The Better Homes and Gardens magazine yeah. thing. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> right. Um, First of all, there's a, a line where she's like, there's plastic on our furniture to keep it clean. Yeah. I don't know yeah. anyone who daydreams about that. <laughs> but, um, but I swear, remember like they have a, a bunch of women in a room and like someone's showing them Tupperware Yeah, Tupperware party. Yeah. Is, is one of those women uh, Laura Linney? Oh, I don't know. Oh, that's that a, good is a good question. question. There's a woman How do we find like, that out? Third from the right. I'm afraid I don't know. Um, it looks uncanny. 
Okay, well, I'm, I'm in the IMDb cast page here. I'm cheating. I'm cheating. I'm uh, cheating. I'm going to have it up here the whole time. That would be interesting to find out. Uh, I don't see the name in the credits here. So I, I'm not familiar with that person. Who is that? She's in Ozark right now. She's the wife in Ozark. Oh, I see. Okay. But, you know, it, it might be an uncredited thing, but she's just sitting there. Mm, well, maybe. I don't see any but credits for the rest of those. Again, it could just be someone that looks just like her. I mean, need okay. to rewatch that moment and see. Yeah, yeah. See. I didn't, I didn't, uh, didn't, I didn't recognize it if, if it was. No, I didn't place it either. Well, that's for our listeners to research and let us know on social media. There you go. There you go. <laughs> People more obsessive than we are. Go for it. <laughs> there you go. But uh, yeah, I think so far we've talked a little shop of horrors, Skid Row, uh, Dentist. Like, I, mm -hmm. I, I like all those songs. Mm. Um, I really enjoy um, the, 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 the character exposition songs like um, Some with Seymour and Some with It's Green, they're great. But the scene setting songs are what really do, do it for me, like Skid Row. Um, those are my favorites. Um, I think it's because they, they, they have to express a lot more. They have to yeah. talk about the scene and the story, um, whereas the character uh, ones really just talk about themselves or their relationships, which have a more simple, less nuanced message. Um, than the scene setting ones. Uh, but that's, you know, that's uh, the, sh the shivers that I get when I watch this. And I, I watched it again yesterday. I'm, I still got shivers again, listening to the way they layered the information in the lyrics and the way the music played into that information, mm. um, the styles of music they chose, the, the, the different instrument accents and everything. It's just so well orchestrated. Yeah, it's... Um... It's like uh, it's similar to like what movies will do with color to emote certain to let yes. you know that something is the the attitude or the emotion or the or the significance of the scene is about to change. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a, good a great point. job of do, doing some of that with the not just the the music but with some of the. Um, uh, uh, set design choices and and um, wardrobe as well yeah. and the wardrobe yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what was that part uh, where uh, Audrey was talking about her past and she's like yeah, yeah I used to go out in the streets and dress in non-classy stuff not like what she's wearing not like this <laughs> it's it's that wonderful um my life now is normal the the train wreck that is my life is normal compared to what it used to be <laughs> yeah um, um but yeah I mean, I mean we talked about you i think actually you talked about um the styles of music that they chose because you know mm -hmm. very heavily do up but you know i mean obviously most of the music now is um comes from blues um but yeah mm -hmm. there's some blues in there gospel rock yep. even like feed yep. me the song Feed Me goes through all of those, I think, within that one song. Yeah. Almost, yeah. Um, yeah. And it, the, the styles of music they chose really lent. I mean, it's, it's a classic American musical. It's, it's completely American. There, mm -hmm. There's no doubt about that. Um, and it, it wears that very, very proudly. And it expresses that through every choice of style. The instruments, the bass lines, everything about it is entirely rooted in 
I mean, it, you could even say it's, it's New York music more than just American music. Mm. Um, the way it, it, it's, it combines everything together. I mean, New York being such a cosmopolitan city, uh, it's a combination of all those different cultures. So um, it, it really, I think it, it manages to fold all those different genres and all the different uh, song styles and even the dancing that they do as well um, mm. folds in there. There's not much dancing in there, just a little bit, but um, it's, it's, it's more a, a song musical than a dance musical like West Side Story, for example. I'm okay really with that dancing. though. No, I me think- Me too, me too. Yeah, because- it, it would have been more than a half hour and a half film if they thrown dance and dance numbers in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and dancing takes me out of it a lot. Um, I mean, mm. I love a good classic dance musical, but it, you, you're there to watch the dancing and experience the skill of that. And that's fantastic, but it's not about the story. And I like the story and the characters. Mm. And this musical is about the story and the characters. So I guess they put a little bit of dancing in there when they could, but they had action. They had, they had to move the action forward during the song. So that's why people are walking around. They're, they're, doing, they're interacting with each other as opposed to just straight up dancing. Can <laughs> mm. mm. we talk about in more detail, Bill Murray. Oh my <laughs> God. He's in the film for like three minutes, but sure. Okay. And he's, it's the best. It's, it was like, so good. It was just yeah, like some good. of the best three minutes you've seen on, on film. So, yes, so I watched I'll give you um, that. I'll give you that. I, I watched the, so the person that plays this role in the original film is Jack Nicholson. Yes. Oh, really? Right. And yeah, Jack so Nicholson. I, I, I watched yeah, one of his first roles. What's that? Okay. <laughs> That explains a lot. Um, <laughs> so I went and watched that scene. Um, you know, some similarities, but I, Bill Murray, absolutely, just what you said. Like you said, one scene, three minutes, and I'm still talking about it now. It, it's amazing. Well, everything he does, it, it, his eyebrows, the way he spits out those that wadding when he's lying <laughs> in the chair right at the end, when he's trying to talk again, and he, the way he spits out everything about his physicality <sighs> is is. Perfect Bill Murray and perfect for the character. The, the um, do yeah. doctor says, like, you know, shut up. And he's like, yes, doctor. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's, like he's like turned on. Well, that's a lovely motif, actually, because Audrey had to be taught, had to be trained in, in Steve Martin's words mm -hmm. to say that. Like, you got to train him. He, he, he's, yeah. he's that misogynistic. And so she's smarter than Bill and she's um, more self possessed than him. So she had to be broken and trained to, to <laughs> behave that way. But Bill walks in the room. Yes, Doctor. <laughs> oh, yes, Doctor. <laughs> and, and Steve Martin's character doesn't like that. No, no. <laughs> he's a sadist. And a masochist does not give a sadist what they need. Exactly. Well, not this one, anyway. <laughs> is, this, is this coming from experience? You said that very... Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, not directly. And then he but tries um, to escape with one of the tools. Yeah. That's right, that's right. He's like, oops, sorry. He, he also brings his own bib. Yeah. Yeah, it's, right. his own, it's his own cut. He's, he's just his stuff. <laughs> He's whisting off the various dentists that he goes to. And he has a regular Sunday dentist. He has the Thursday one that referenced him from the Wednesday one. So oh. this guy is a dentist aficionado, there's no doubt. Like that's just it was just I mean just every time he, every time the, the doctor pulls out a tool, he's like he's his eyes yeah. like, oh my yeah, god. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's all that's that's all I want. That's all I wanted to talk about. No, that no, you're was, good. You're good. That was really good. Like, well, again, this is Frank Oz embracing the darkness, man. He went from like homicidal darkness to sexual darkness. He mm. took it all. 
Well, that's the great thing about him creating this mini universe in this movie, because mm-hmm. the rules are whatever he wanted them to be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he he could go ahead and just offer you this deranged, you know, person working on a you know a dude who is clearly got some issues of his own Mm -hmm. and then to follow it up you have rick Morandis, who's on the who wants no part of any of this nope is in the chair next and what i love is the the, uh the manual drill he's like it's uh it's rusty (laughs) and dull he's like yeah well don't make it like this anymore the dentist has gone from like i i have this abusive relationship with this woman and that gives me satisfaction i come into my work and i abuse some patients and that brings me pleasure that makes me feel good steve uh, bill murray's just stolen that from me he's just yeah. corrupted my love of pain yeah. by being so happy about it i need to get that back what's the most horrible thing i can do to this this guy i barely remember <laughs> I'm going to take this antique drill that barely works. <laughs> I'm going to gas myself up to the gills and I'm just going to go to town in this guy's mouth. No anesthetic. No, no, that's for wimps. We don't do that around here. <laughs> well, I think, well, this was definitely what, 86. I mean, this is when I start remembering going to the dentist. This movie definitely caused me to have a solid fear of dentists. Oh, like, I, 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 yes, I would sit in the chair and like, they remember that umbrella they used to put in your mouth? I, yeah. I would sit there screaming. Oh. That just would bring the drill to my mouth. That screaming. Yeah. Somehow, okay. I think maybe dentists all over the country were not happy when this movie came out. Oh, I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. They were, although they would have enjoyed it by themselves, but they yes. would have yeah, hated what it did for their industry, yes. I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, I've done that before. Yeah, I'm sure they <laughs> love watching it, but they, they hate that you watched it. Right. <laughs> Um, but I don't know if we've talked about um, Frank Oz, but, but know, what movies he's done, but like this in particular, like what he did with Audrey too, mm-hmm. um, as a small plant going to a big plant, I thought he just, he gave that plant so much personality. Mm-hmm. So I did a bit of reading on that. Um, mm-hmm. There's some technical stuff that I really enjoyed about what they did there. Um, apparently it took 60 people to manipulate the, the uh, one ton version right near the, in the third act. Wow. Um, 60 puppeteers and I worked on the King Kong musical um, as a CG artist doing a, some advertising for them so I looked at what they did there they had like 60 people working a I think it was 12 ton gorilla so there was as many people working wow. on Audrey 2 as there were on a 12 ton King Kong gorilla for the stage musical um, wow. all those but, tentacles uh, and arms and stuff yeah. Yeah, apparently they filmed it at 12 frames a second in order to make the actions work smoothly. And they slowed the music down and they had the performers perform at half speed and then they sped it back up again. Now I can't tell, and I do film CG and effects for a living. I couldn't tell till I read this article that that's what they did. That it's makes so sense. well done. Because oh. the mass, the mass of that mouth, there's a lot of meat, there's a lot of animatronic, there's a lot of foam, there's a lot of weight. Moving that at real human talking speed- Would be almost impossible. It wouldn't yeah. work. It'd flop around. It'd look tall. It wouldn't work. So they slowed it down. And that allowed them to really get the nuance of the Man, it must took forever. So long. So Holy long. shit, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the what only, you do. <laughs> the only time I might have noticed a little, you know, slowdown was um right at the end when um 
all the tentacles are like coming up through the floorboards. Uh, I saw sure. a little delay, but like, you forgive them. From what you just told us, I think we can forgive them. Now. Yeah, yeah, I think oh, so. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's what you do in that job. And uh, that, that, that technique worked really well for them because um, I've watched, I can't tell you how many times I've watched the film and I watch Audrey 2's lips move because that's the character there. The head movement and the puppetry of Frank Oz up in there doing the, the puppetry right in the beginning in the radio show when it's going to snap on that woman's butt. Mm. That, the nuance there, the motion of, oh, come on, I just want to bite her butt. That, yeah. that, that, all that there is unsaid. And that's the puppetry of Frank Oz right there. But then when it starts talking and the lips, the curl, the, the, the pouting, when it couldn't get fed, it, like there's that whole, mm. <laughs> it, it's all in there and it's so well done. And you've got to do it then, like you, you know, because you just, so you, you've got to be able to sell the emotion for that, for this animatronic character, like, because you know, the audience knows that it's not real. So you've mm -hmm. got to convince them that it is. And mm -hmm. a lot of that is just the little nuances that they throw in well, there. The hardest part too is most human characterization happens in the eyes. Right. And Audrey 2 doesn't have any eyes. Oh, true. So how do you true. how do you express or like quizzicality? How do you express surprise without eyebrows? True. I mean, you've got, you know, the, the motion, that sort of stuff, and that's great. But the subtle movements, how do you do that? Well, this is how you do that. Watch Little Shop of Horrors. This mm. is how you do that. <laughs> yeah, Frank is Frank was I mean He was the biz. He did yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. He was he was badass, man. So I, I, I do have couple questions about yeah. this uh, film one being um you mean to tell me he got a dead body all the way back to the, the store oh. on the new york city subway without being seen <laughs> that scene is amazing it's it looks exactly like a corpse there's feet there's a head it's yeah. just badly wrapped and he's dragging that thing through the subway down the stairs dunk -a -dunk -a -dunk -a -dunk. rigor mortis <laughs> has already set in so yeah. it's basically a surfboard <laughs> <laughs> that, sure, was yeah, yeah, that was so good and, and like and like you're, he like looks around the corner just to see if anyone's there like, hey, dude, yeah. it, there's people walking around new york at nighttime it's new york <laughs> dude of course it's gonna yeah. be city that never sleeps you know what I'm saying? that's it that's it <laughs> um another question yeah after audrey almost gets eaten by audrey too she doesn't seem to care that uh Seymour's been housing a, a homicidal plant. Uh, if this woman can put up with the dentist, if she yeah. can put aside her own fears, her own concerns for her own well-being, and get beaten, she had her arm in a sling. Uh, she mm. must have had a spiral fracture in there or something. Black then um, going this far for the guy who actually is who she wants, yeah, mm. she's all in. Yeah, she, she's accomplice to murder now, though. Absolutely, yes, but that's because that's her man, and that's what he needs to do to save her from herself. Yeah. She's all in. Look, Audrey too. Audrey, sorry, Audrey is messed up. She is a broken woman trying to save herself um, with the last hope she's got, and it's tragic and horrifying. And yeah, Little Shop of Horrors, man. Every character in this film is broken. Um, yeah, yeah. And this is her. This is how she's broken. And it just spins off into a TBS special. For you know, so that's oh fun. oh. We also for the um anim uh, not animatronic the uh, the puppeteering uh when they add the uh, mini Audrey it's, twos when oh. he's singing and like they're singing all around the outside. 
Well, he yeah. gets his own chorus, you see. Yeah. That's yeah. the great part. Like, Seymour's <laughs> had his chorus, and New York has had their chorus, but now Audrey 2 has yeah. got a chorus. She's going to bring it. <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah. Smart, which is brilliant, too, because I don't think I would have even thought about that. that. That's That was a great way of kind of doing that. Mm. And so we end this film where they're happily ever after, quote unquote, uh, in uh, the house that they want. Now, do we and, know? Yeah. And then we have a little Audrey three uh, in their garden. Is, is Was this supposed to be a sequel, like a cliffhanger for a sequel? No, well, what you see, it? this is the whole test audience problem. When they tested the film uh, before release, uh, they had a different ending. They had 23 extra minutes of footage of the plants growing to colossal size and destroying the world. Uh, and the plants win. And it's a horror, it's a bad, bad ending. It's bad for everybody. Right. Except the plants, of course. But they cut it because the test audiences didn't like it. And in 2012, they went back in and restored it. So you can get a director's cut now, which has the actual ending the film intended, which Frank Oz had intended to put. The studio overrode him and rewrote the ending. Oh, I want to see um, this. And it's a much more uh, consistent film now with that ending in there. It's a much darker film because the plants win and humanity loses and it's all over. Yeah. <laughs> At that point, like, it's, it becomes uh, an invasion War of the, of the Worlds or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, much more like War of the Worlds. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you remember that one? Yeah. Or yep, um, yep. Mars Attacks. Yeah, Mars attacks again, but without the happy endings that those films had. Right. <laughs> didn't, didn't, didn't the invasion of body snatchers like at least the, the black and white original like they thought that, or the main character thought, that, or the woman thought that she it was fine, and then she's walking and finds the main male character, and like he makes that sound to alert the rest yeah. of the aliens. Mm -hmm. So it, that that one ends pretty dark as well. Mm -hmm. um, War of the Worlds ends on I guess you could call it a positive note i guess kind of, yeah. i mean the earth's destroyed but the humans win but yeah um in the, in this one it's pretty clear that humans are going to lose uh mm. by the original ending i should say um mm -hmm. and one of the things i like most about the original as opposed to this new ending is that it's consistent to the setup because the setup is this is a horror film about how the end happened and right. the people that let the end happen and the the frailties the weaknesses in humans that brought about our own destruction at the, the hands of this opportunistic carnivorous plant. So uh, we have no one but ourselves to blame, of course, as in most horror films. We're the reason it's all happening. Or reality. Uh, horror films anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they could have totally um, turned this into a, uh, an actual sci-fi drama. Complete, uh, you know, yeah, but without that tongue in cheek, uh, I know, I know. sadistic dentist and all the rest, it just wouldn't work. I'm sorry, <laughs> I would love to see them just do a spin off of just the dentist. Well, <laughs> I don't know how that would be. But, but. I don't know, I don't think I could sit through a, a show about a, a sadistic, uh, misogynistic guy like that. Um, not even, not unless, even an origin story, yeah, pre, a uh, pre <laughs> with half his an mom. hour. I, I think we mom. had the origin story right there. That's it. His mom. That was it. I don't think we need any more. I mean, the guy's a cardboard those. cutout. And I think there's a, you know, you know, Steve Martin, like that, you're probably right. And that, that character's probably taken best in small doses. Yes. So. Yes. I don't think I need to see him leaning over a motorcycle, threatening his girlfriend to pay respect that he hasn't earned. To him just so he doesn't hit her i don't need to see much more of that i'm good speaking of the motorcycle, agree to agree to disagree 
Speaking okay. of the motorcycle, though, yeah, the, the scene where he just jumps into the scene on the motorcycle uh-huh. and it stops <laughs> instantly. It, it doesn't slow down. It doesn't decelerate. It's just flying through the air and then it's not. I love that. <laughs> I thought that was yeah. hilarious. Yeah. And every time he gets off the bike, he doesn't stop the bike. He bullies the bike into stopping. Yeah. He gets off and he looks at it and he's like, you will stop driving. And the bike's like, oh shit, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and instead oh. of turning the bike, he makes her turn the bike for him. I'm yeah. like, are yeah. you joking yeah. me? Yeah, he makes her push the bike and then he yells at her for falling off the bike. Of yeah. Because, you know. Oh, <sighs> uh, yeah. So, um, so... so this is why I don't need to see another show about, about that character. I'm good. <laughs> um... I uh, you know write always write down some quotes that I like from movies. Um, sure, I'm gonna have to throw my favorite character, Bill Murray, <laughs> um, when he's just like sitting there with a, going through torture, and he's just like, "It's your professionalism that I respect." Yeah, I use that line a lot <laughs> when I'm when I'm dealing with someone who's just messed up <laughs> the day, like when they've ruined a three-hour shoot. We got to go back and reshoot. That's that's my go-to. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie has influenced your life. It has. It has. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I had to pick a favorite line, uh, well, that's right. Obviously, that's right up there with them. Um, but the the plastic on the furniture really gets me every time. Because mm. um, I had an aunt who did that. Um, she was really into the plastic covered furniture, um, and it just it's it's a family thing. It reminds me of her. So that one did it for me. I think we've all had one of those family members who. You go over their house and they've got all the furniture covered in plastic. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we have any? Uh, do we have any? Our segment on what the fuck moments? Do we have any of those? I mean, there should be plenty. Uh, well, I mean, theoretically speaking, all everything that Steve Martin was in was kind of what the fuck moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, talking man eating. Homicidal plants. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) For me, when Rick Moranis pricks his thumb on the rose the first time, and he's like, damn roses, damn thorns. And then he puts the finger in his mouth and he makes a sucking noise. And then he, you know, he's sucking on his finger and then he takes it away. And then he puts it back and he looks at it and puts it back, more sucking noise, takes it away. And then the sucking noise doesn't stop. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. He's not sucking on his finger. This film doesn't make audio mistakes. What's going on? And we look, and it's Audrey too, and <laughs> sitting there making a sucking noise. <laughs> I was like, oh wow, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also like how they went from him. He looks, but you see the silhouette first of uh-huh. Audrey too on oh, the chair, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then it pans up to up to yeah. yes, yes, because cool. now it's it's, it's up there. It wasn't. It was down on the ground, and then it's up, mm-hmm. and it's making the sucking sound. Yeah, that's good. That's some good photography there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was definitely that was that was cool. Um, I don't know. Uh, let's see what other. Um, trying to remember what other. Uh, the scene you mentioned before, where the Greek chorus comes out of the dark during oh, the scene, mm. that was definitely. I mean, I know we've already discussed that, but I got to come back to it because the costuming, the sparkles, they're wearing these sequin dresses, yeah. and all you see in the alleyway is little sparkles of something beyond the scene and the camera shifts focus. And I'm like, why is the camera shifting focus into an alleyway? What's, what's back there? It's just some sparkles. What, what the hell is that? And then they come out of the darkness. Yeah. Come on, come on. Oh. It was very <laughs> creepy. Yeah. 
There's a lot of Very cool cinematography yeah. in this one. Yep. Um, I, did, I did just, you know, go to the uh, awards page of uh, IMDb. Oh, okay. They were nominated by the Academy Awards for Best Effects, Best Music, uh, Best Motion Picture for Golden Globes nominee. They should have got Best Music. Best Original Score for mm. nominee for Golden Globes. Um, they won Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. <laughs> well, that's Best DVD Blu-ray Special. Let me skip that. Um, okay. Academy of, again, oh, again, Academy of Science Fiction and Fantasy Horror, Best Music, Best Horror Film, Best Writing. Okay. They, they won for Best Music. So, okay, I need to point out something really obscure. I was watching it again, and I noticed one of the doo-wop singers, the one on the far left, mm -hmm. and I thought, I recognize that guy, and I couldn't believe that it was him, and I distrusted myself, and it turns out I was right. It's Danny John Jules, the cat from Red Dwarf, is oh. one of the doo-wop singers in this film. And yeah, I okay. <laughs> I didn't realize that until yesterday. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. See, that's that's the beauty of doing this podcast. Is sometimes where you watch movies and we'll see stuff now that we didn't get to see, we didn't notice like for years because mm -hmm. we're actually not we're you know paying attention this time. Mm. I mean, there's no popcorn, so yeah. <laughs> That's cool. No, it's, um, I've always liked his his work, um, and I I thought it was just this this thing where it was just a guy who looked a lot like him. I thought it can't be him. It can't be him. No, that was that was him. That was him. <laughs> oh wow, he was uh he was in Labyrinth. Yep. Uh, Blade Two, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Yep. Yeah. Wow. He's been in a lot of stuff. What was he in Labyrinth? It must have been a voice or something, right? Must have been one of the, the dancing firemen or something, maybe. Yeah, he was one of the fire guys. There you go. There you he go. was two of the fire guys. That makes sense. <laughs> wow. Um, so is it time for the questions? It is time for the questions. So at this point in the time, we have a couple of questions we ask our guests okay. <clears throat> to uh, participate in. And the first question is, would Tom Hanks fit in this movie? And if so, in what role? And would it make the movie better? Okay. I think he could fit in the role of the first customer who walks into the shop after seeing the Audrey 2 on the street as a cameo. Mm. Would it fit? I think it would steal the scene. So no, I don't think it would make the film any better because it's Tom Hanks. And the guy they've got is just some guy with huge eyes who looks the part and is a completely, uh, he's a characterization. He just walks in and does the thing and he walks out. And if you had Tom Hanks in there, I think it would steal the scene. But that's the only role I can think of him working in. I don't think he could pull off Bill Murray's role. I don't think he could pull off Steve Martin's role. Um, Muchnik? Could he do Muchnik? I don't know. I don't know, maybe. Older no. Tom Hanks could do it. I don't know. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> and then the second question Would Eric Clapton's Tears in Heaven fit in this movie? And if so, where? I mean, it's about a, it's a song, it's a tribute to the boys, to his, to his dead son. So, um, uh, yeah. Um, 
Wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this movie's dark. Maybe so. in the closing credits. Mm. I guess maybe after the uh, the motif, after the the reprise of whatever they reprised during the uh, the opening part of the closing credits. You know, they always do that reprisal mm -hmm. in musical closing credits. Maybe at the end of that. I don't know. I'm not. Ah, tears in heaven. I mean, we had it's such a answer. real song. We had an interesting answer um, as we did a uh, Purple Rain and uh, like a, a rendition. So not the actual song, but an, a rendition of that song. Mm -hmm. um, so it, like a, maybe a more musical styling. So like for Purple Rain would have been more of a rock R&B styling. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm just spitballing. I don't know if that would, would actually work here, but mm. um, because it is tongue in cheek, maybe this is one example where it would work if you had a Tears in Heaven style to fit the film, like mm -hmm. when one of the characters dies or gets eaten by. <laughs> How about as um, as he as Rick is trying to move the body and it slides down the steps? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I think if they could steal like one melody line from that song and just use it as an accent somewhere, that might work. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Oh, um, so do we want to get into the, the the rating of this movie? Um, yeah, because I feel like it's kind of pointless to ask what song encompasses the movie when there's yeah, a song written. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could. I mean, we could still ask the question, I guess. Although Tuck might have a different answer because he kind of alluded to it before. That's true. So, uh, yeah. Which movie? Which song would you say encompasses the or embodies the movie more the most? I would say Skid Row. Boom. That's Ooh. what I thought you were gonna say. <laughs> yeah, it sets the whole film up, and everything that comes after that, every mood, every motivation for every character, is embedded in that song. Um, the desperation that they feel, the, which which provides the motivation mm -hmm. for the, the the soullessness of every character, comes from that song. It's the root that everything else grows from. Oh, plant analogy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's pretty creepy too. So there's that. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> I would probably agree to that. Um, it was one of my favorite montages of the movie. Um, mm -hmm. That and the um, obviously the scene in the shop where the shop shop owner gets eaten, um, mm. but I think I mean that's yeah I mean if we're just talking about what which one embodies I would pick I would pick that one as well. I yeah I I can't argue with any of that reasoning, um, but I will say probably my favorite is. Supper time. I, I just love Stubbs's voice, mm, and I think yes, he was yes, a perfect yes. selection for that uh, for that oh, character. If I had to pick a number two, though, I would go with Suddenly Seymour, um, mm. because of the hope that it tries to bring and fails to deliver. Um, it, it it really it's it's like the end of Act Two, and we're trying to rescue these characters. We're giving them to each other. And they're singing about their love for each other. And she's trusting for the first time in her life. She's trusting a man. And that also summarizes the characters really well. But it only summarizes those two characters. 
Mm -hmm. um, whereas Skid Row talks about the whole film. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, if I, I, I can't argue with that at all. Um, and all of this might be moot point at some point anyway, because... Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> You're going to talk about the new one, aren't you? Yeah, no, no, no. yeah, oh. I'm... I'm look, can we not? Can they not? <laughs> I love Chris Evans, okay? Sure. I really enjoy him. Sure. He is a good actor, but... Yes, he is. Exactly. They do not need to remake oh, this film. They don't need to do it. And they certainly should not have him as Orin. I'm sorry. No. Absolutely. Is that what he's playing? Yes. Oh. Yes. Do you really oh, see man. him doing that com that doing that doing that comedy? I just I'm sorry, I don't. At least they didn't I, put him I, as a Seymour. <laughs> no, well, he couldn't pull off Seymour. I mean, the guy's a walking... The guy's a wall. He can't do Seymour, but... Um, I, I know that Scarlett Johansson can sing, and I'm fine with her being able to sing. That's great. Um, and she might be able to pull off Ellen Green's role, although, man, she'd have to work twice as hard to prove it to yeah. me. Because <laughs> Ellen Green owns that. That's her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I'm sorry. Why? 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 I'll tell you why. Because Marvel made billions and billions of dollars, and they think putting these stars in there will equate more to money. But that's not the case. It's, it's just not the case. So this is such sell. a cult film. You can't do yeah. this. No, it's like you don't remake Rocky Horror. Right. You know, it's it's not what you do. It's not going to work. Rocky Horror starring Jamie Foxx. Oh, please. <laughs> well, now, Jamie Foxx could sing, but no, he's no Frank yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, your, your abhorrence to a remake being made and then this film in mind, what are we, what are you rating this film yeah. out of 10, 10 being the highest? Uh, myself? Yep. I mean, I suggested this, and I'm clearly a fanboy, so <laughs> this is a loaded question. You're not going to get an objective answer out of me. I just want to go up and say that right now, okay? <laughs> We're, we, trust me, we have, we are well aware of that situation. Okay, well, I, okay, you can judge a film by its flaws, and you can say it missed this, or it, 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 it did this wrong, or whatever. Now, Chris, I know you're coming into this as a Bill Murray fan. And I'm a Bill Murray fan too. Caddyshack every day. I'm on board, okay? Um, I think the only flaw in this film is when it slows down to tell the relationship between Steve Martin and Bill Murray. Mm. Um, I don't think it should be removed from the film. I think it's good for the film. Mm. But I think it's the only part of the film where I'm like, I'm going to enjoy the comedy as right. opposed to the horror and the right. music. right. Um, and so for me, the film changes a bit there. That's the only thing about the film I find is even remotely negative. And we're talking about one of the most amazing pieces of film ever made. That, right. that section with Bill Murray and Steve Martin is incredible. Right. So to say that that's the bad part is, is the sort of praise I'm talking about here. Mm. Something that we all love is the worst part of this film. So uh, <laughs> I, I have to give it at least a nine or a 10. I'm sorry, I just do. <laughs> 
I, I honestly do. I think it's one of the best musicals ever put to film. Hmm. Well, I don't watch a, a ton of musicals, so I, you know, I can't counter that argument. But um, I mean, like I said, rewatching re this after such a long time, um, it, it was fun. It was funny. Um, mm -hmm. It was like interesting just to see the, you know, different aspects of it, including the music, cinematography, uh, the casting was great. Um, I agree. I think um, that's a weird scene that doesn't lend itself to the storyline at all, um, but it's amazing. So it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, right. that's the worst I can say about it. That one scene being the one of the best scenes ever doesn't quite fit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it reminds me of like other films where you just you do have this random scene that doesn't that, that doesn't speak to the film or the storyline, and it's it is there just for comedy. And, and I feel like I feel like if you look back at even um, like Shakespeare's plays, you, they, they, he actually does that, right? You, you yeah, have these yeah, sure. scenes that are just like there maybe to lighten the mood of the play. Right. So yeah, um, yeah, I feel like maybe that was what this was used. That, that was kind of a tool to do that. Um, I. So we've reviewed a bunch of films and we've given like <laughs> Into the Spider-Verse at 10, which is one of my favorites with the soundtrack. That's, a, that's an amazing film. <laughs> um, I can't remember what the other one we did was 10 was recently. Um, so I, I can't give it a 10, um, but I did enjoy it to a point where I was like 8, 8.5. I think I can throw it in that, in that area. Cool. <laughs> so... Um, <clears throat> I too came with the same flaw of sorts, flaw that wasn't a flaw. I mean, I get yeah, why exactly. they did it because it was kind of like them trying to re-justify his sadism, but I don't think mm -hmm. they needed it. It's like, wasn't needed. Like we, this story wasn't about him. Um, and I'm pretty sure we already got it already. He's in, he's kind of crazy. We get it. Mm -hmm. So it was not needed, but there's no way I would ask them to remove it from this movie. Of course not. Of it course was, not. it's, it's just straight comedy gold. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, from the standpoint of uh, the soundtrack to movie balance, this was probably one of the more balanced movies we've ever watched. We've watched when it came to that. Okay. okay. Um, but like Chris said, we, <clears throat> we've set kind of a couple of our high bar, I guess. And I don't watch a lot of, um, like I used to watch a lot of movie musicals. Like I'm a big Jerry Lewis fan. So uh -huh. obviously I've watched and Dean <laughs> Martin and, you know, so uh -huh. I've watched a lot of those movies. And mm -hmm. so I I have a soft spot in my heart for like, you know, movies that have these musical um, montages and mm -hmm. interludes know. and such. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that being said, I would probably give this movie an eight and a half, probably. Ooh. Maybe maybe a nine, simply because mm -hmm. I could watch. I can I can go back to that one scene with the dentist's office and just laugh like every time I could watch this every, every day time. at one scene yeah. every day. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd say eight and a half probably. 
I got a question too. Sure. I got a question for you. Now we we know it's pro pretty obvious that that scene was put in the film because of the success and popularity of Bill and Steve in SNL because sure. they were both SNL alum. I'm not sure if they were both on the show at the time, but anyway, mm-hmm. they were leveraging their movie fame and etc. Let's say, just for the sake of argument, you took that scene, the entire dentist office scene, you took it out of the film, and then you moved it onto SNL. And you just aired it there, oh. out of context. Don't give it the context of the film at all. Take it out and put it there. You reckon it would work? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. But, but the film would be downgraded to a five. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> okay. Oh, we know where you're sitting. <laughs> I'm here for the music. I thought this was a show about music. <laughs> oh no, no, no! This is the Steve Martin movie. Uh, I guess. Podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Let's talk about LA Story then. But sure. Okay. <laughs> well, here's. So I just quickly pulled up, and Steve Martin in the '80s was just killing it. He did Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which was one of my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. Three Amigos, uh, Parenthood, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which is my absolute favorite movie. Love that film. Don't watch the remake. It's the worst. No, it's garbage. I just watched it. I have to watch it to to know. It's so bad. Yeah, you. it's so bad. It's like so bad. I'm going to watch it, but knowing this already. Yeah. He also did Roxanne, Parenthood. Yep. Love Roxanne. Um, it, was it the, the, the jerk? The of jerk? Course, that was a little earlier, but probably uh, The Man with Two Brains, All of Me, which is probably the worst of the movies on this list. Yeah. Was that, oh, was that Man with Two Brains is. Oh. Yeah, that was so with much. Lily Tomlin, and he's yeah. supposed to be dead or something, whatever. So he, I mean, this that movie was right dead center of his. He, he was this must have been his greatest stretch of movies ever for mm-hmm. him. like this was mm-hmm. his this was his you know six championships uh for him it was just you know and then he picked it up again in the 90s like late mm-hmm. 90s when he went to more serious yeah yeah so um so yes could he do that should they do have done that like i wouldn't be surprised if the this wasn't something that maybe he had in his back pocket to do as a skit. And they're like, you know what? That would be cool. We should throw that into the movie. Because this was, it was just so, it was such a funny piece. My understanding is it was from the show, from the Broadway show. Really? Yeah, that's my current understanding. Now, I'm, I'm happy to be corrected on that. But my understanding at the moment is that that was taken from the show and yeah, it added to, embellished somewhat. And they right. added the characterizations of Bill and Steve on top of that. Right. Uh, but um, no, that was, um, I mean, the song, you know, Dentist, that's from the show. Um, there was a there was one song written for the movie, but that mm. wasn't it. It was uh, The Meek Shall Inherit was written for the movie. Mm. Um, uh, sort of the Hudsucker Proxy kind of a feeling in that one. But um, anyway. Mm. Hudsucker Proxy, that's another decent movie. That's a good film. I yeah. like that one. Yeah. Well, um, Tuck, what are you up to currently? What's uh, what 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 do you uh, have going on that people should know about? Oh, okay. So, um, uh, I'm into augmented reality. That's my bag. Um, cool. I have an app that 
is an augmented reality platform, uh, which we're launching at the moment. And it's it's a, a, an effort on our part to democratize augmented reality in a real sense, not to create a, a gimmick like uh, a face covering mask thing you can wear that or a cat nose or something like that, right. uh, but an actual platform like a media. Um, mm. I know it, I know it's horribly pretentious, particularly in the context of a film podcast to talk about a new media, but um, I think that augmented reality is going to present the next form of media that we start talking about the way it allows us to overlay uh, virtual and imagined things on top of the reality we currently share mm. uh, and enhance it. So people, I think people are going to start talking about this media in, a, in the same sort of way we talk about cinema or television or radio. Uh, it'll be the next way we, the next platform that we discuss in this, in those terms. And I'm hoping to, well, I think I figured out how to bring that to the world. Um, mm. We've got a platform that is that's reducing the cost of making that sort of content, making photorealistic, actual story viable, augmented reality, by about ninety five percent. We've we've reduced the price by about ninety five percent. So um, mm. that means that you could buy a four hundred dollar camera, a depth camera from Microsoft, and you could use some free software that we've made, and you could make long form augmented reality content like this podcast. And to prove it. I have created the world's only live augmented reality talk show. Um, yeah, it's called Blink Talk Live, and oh. I want you both to be guests on it in the future. Uh, yeah, if you like, no. you can talk about whatever you like. Oh, that cool. Sounds insane. All of that. We, we can talk <laughs> about film. We can talk about uh, whatever you like. I don't care. Uh, as long as we don't talk about augmented reality, because right. I. What I, I reckon a medium is mature when you can use it to talk about things other than itself. Right. right. That's kind of a metric that I'm using. So if we can have a show in AR that's about cooking or right. something, right. and it carries, it flows, it's an actual cooking show that happens to be in this medium, then the medium has matured. That's the goal I'm aiming for. That's interesting. Well, I, I told you that if you want me on, I'm all in so oh yeah we'll do it we'll book you on it's good yeah i like new technology stuff i'm a nerd cool and we can so. talk politics we can talk religion nothing's off limits as long as it's basically a g-rated show we're good but chris we should we should talk marvel yeah let's do that mm, we should do i can show you my t-shirt collection i got the shirts dope. man oh really yeah yeah <laughs> It's too cold here. It's the middle of winter, so I'm wearing fur right now, or fake fur, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll rock the shirts. Yeah, we should do them. We should do Marvel and AR. That would be kind of cool. Yep. Yeah, cool. let me let me know, man. That's That would that would be... Uh, we'll set it up. We'd be down for that for sure. Where can people find you online? Like, uh, where can people follow you and learn more? Well, uh, our Twitter handle is just Blinksel, B-L-I-N-X-E-L. And you go to blinksel.com. That's the website. You can check out what we do. Cool. Um, so everybody do that right now. Put down put down your phone and do it. Yes. Um, pick up your phone and do it because it's AR. Oh, it uses your phone. Oh, there you go. So Yeah. Um, Chris, what are you up to? Uh, I just had a virtual fundraiser show for a bar in Hoboken yesterday. So, uh -huh. cool. I uh, streamed live from their Instagram 
uh, and I've uploaded the video to their IGTV. So if you want to check that out, it's there. Um, it's the Hobo, it's the Shannon and Hoboken, you know, just raising money for their bar to keep the staff going. Um, so uh, I had a show for Wednesday that's been pushed back. So just keep an eye out, you know, social media channels, website, chrissaundersmusic.com, Chris Saunders underscore music on IG, uh, Chris Saunders music everywhere else. And uh, you'll see my schedule pop up. Cool. Cool. And uh, for me, uh, I'm not really doing that much. Lots the new podcast yesterday called 12 million. Oh, actually today. Um, I launched a new podcast called 12 million, which um, will be available to listen to hopefully in the next couple of days. Um, you can watch the video on the YouTube channel currently um, for the first episode. And, um, you know, that's really all I'm doing. I got nothing else better to do. Laying around the house watching TV and, and uh, thinking of what else I'm going to do next. What movies well, you've got to start do. in on Buffy then so we can talk about once more with feeling. <laughs> <laughs> so this was our last episode. Of- uh, that's it for us. <laughs> <laughs> so... Fine. Uh, <laughs> we'll see you guys in 10 years. Uh, I, I used to love, to be honest, I used to love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So mm-hmm. I think I'm, if I, I think I recall this episode, so. Cool. But yeah, it's one of the two episodes that got them lots of Emmy conversations, lots of talk about getting an Emmy, but they didn't get it. Oh, well, well, I mean, not, you know, it was, it was also one of those shows that people didn't, didn't, didn't get great until after, almost after it was halfway down the road. And yeah. And uh, then by that point in time, it was too late. So, mm-hmm. so much baggage. For... <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know they're talking about re- relaunching Buffy the Vampire again. So, really? Yeah. Uh, there's conversations okay. about, um, I think, um, a new series. So, because there was an article somewhere, I forget the guy, the actor, the British actor who played Spike in the, in the, uh, in, yeah. in Buffy. Um, there's an article not re- too recently about him talking about his experiences doing the show. So, um, and then they were, they were talking about, uh, there was talk at Comic-Con last year about Buffy. So we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Tuck, I know it's yeah. early there, so I'm going to let you. I'm going to go have some breakfast. Go have some breakfast and uh, maybe take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> and thank cool. you so much for jumping on this so early in the morning for us. Uh, thanks for having Australia. me. And thanks uh, for the suggestion. Yeah, I think this was a great suggestion, actually. Oh, good. I'm, I was a little worried because I know you guys generally talk standard film and standard film soundtracks and stuff, but. Uh, um, I'm I'm glad you took up a musical. Thank you. Well, oh, and just so you know, we are we are we are going to be launching a new spinoff of this podcast, um, the Download 007. Mm-hmm. Um, so where we talk all all 007 mu- movies and music. So okay. That should, so 
if, if, if 007 is your bag, let us know and maybe we'll have you on one of the future podcasts. Cool, cool. We can talk about George Lazenby. All right. Oh my God. Don't say that because Chris <laughs> will have a conniption. <laughs> if you want to have, have a fight, problem, if you, if you want to have a fight on air, we can do that. Sure. <laughs> cool. George, who? Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, all right, sir. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Not at all. Not at all. And uh, that wraps it up for us. I'm Darren Jenkins. I'm Chris Saunders. And this was I'm another Tuxada. episode of The, the Download. Download. Bye, y'all. <laughs>